Hello everybody, welcome back to Driving to Pretoria. It's been an interesting time uh, this week. Um, a tree, a tree fell in the night on my swimming pool. If a tree falls on a swimming pool in the night and no one is there to see it, will it clog up the basket? I don't know what to do about this, uh, this situation with the tree. I haven't wanted to cut it down. I mean, it's fallen down. I haven't wanted to cut it up and remove it. It's just sitting in my swimming pool. I feel like, in the words of Robbie Rob Rob from Fear and Nature's making a comeback. I don't know if I should just turn my pool into an eco pool. I've been wasting thousands of brands for years on chemicals. And I feel like I should speak to my producer Milan about turning my pool into an eco pool with like reeds and shit. Also, my garden has just gone wild. I haven't mowed the lawn in months, and there's a whole flock of interesting birds that have arrived. Nomsa, who works for us on a Saturday, she's a Sangoma, she says it's my ancestors. I'm not so sure. Anyway, my guest on episode nine owns three dogs and two cats and is descended from a long line of Welsh bakers, I suspect. 20 years ago, we did our very first open mic stand-up spot within weeks of each other. And I think this might be the first time we've actually sat down to talk in the last 20 years. Aside from being hilarious and very good at baking, she is also a self-confessed gaming addict and RPG aficionado. That's role-playing games, I'm told, not shoulder-fired rocket-propelled grenades with explosive warheads. Although I wouldn't be surprised if she knows a lot about that too. Please enjoy this delightful conversation with award-winning chocolate eclairist, anime enthusiast, and the favorite of her mom's three kids, the very funny Mel Jones. The very funny Mel Jones. The very funny Mel Jones. She is the self-confessed favorite. I haven't actually spoken to her mother to confirm that. Also, uh, Tetris was the gateway game that got her into RPGs, apparently. So, if you've got a teenager that's interested in Tetris, stop them! A lot of people have asked me to cover up my laptop. Cover? Yeah. I'm not even, like, out in an art class. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to um, another episode of What Shall We Call This Podcast with Mel Jones. Mel Jones, it's called that because... I haven't yet decided what to call this podcast, and but how many we have. Podcasts have you had so far? Um, you're number ten oh. on the list, and a very big welcome to Mel Jones, comedian, actress. Do we say actor or actress? These I have days? no idea Actor, what call things. writer, comedy writer, and I think possibly yeah. other things still to come that you haven't yet discovered. Director, maybe. Possibly. Possibly. I'm seriously looking into diving into that. That would um, be lovely. And it's, it's wonderful to have you. I have literally, we saw each other on stage. We were performing together the other night in Mitchell's Plan. Yes. Would you rather forget that night? I'm trying to work out what that <laughs> is. that Tasneem Omar I had, adjusting? I had a flashback. I had, a, had flashback a flashback of, of that night. But that was perhaps the, no, I saw you one other time in the last like 14 months. I think we did a... An online, a weird online show somewhere where we... And we did... Um, did we do something else? We did something in Observatory, Trenchtown. Trenchtown. Yes. Oh, yeah, that was also weird. So three weird uh, yeah. shows we've seen each other at. Strange. Everything's been weird. How yeah. have you experienced and uh, treated this last year as a comedian, but also as a human? I think this last year has been challenging for everybody. But as a comedian, you find you tend to find the humor. I think that's been the saving grace, because you mm. find the funny in everything. Um, even when you're depressed, you kind of have to find something to laugh at. So I think this year has been extra challenging because I've had to reach. It's been a reach for me. Can you remember one of those moments of like in that sort of hard lockdown time, just feeling down, and then something bizarre or surreal happened that made you laugh? Yes, I remember it was in September. I was because that was deep into lockdown, and we weren't really sure where we were going to go, how long it was going to last. Because remember, it was supposed to be twenty-one days. Yes, twenty-one days, like a park Some run, people, yeah, five k. This is what happens when Jacob Zuma was in charge of the counting. Twenty-one days, and the whole country. <laughs> 
we forgot what, yeah. what's 20 we don't know anymore so then uh, we're still in lockdown that's true hey? it was 21 days and then in the beginning there's still 21 days it's not anyway so we carry on so it's a, it was deep into lockdown and i was kind of going through the motions of what's going on when is this going to happen and then we would, we hit heritage day and um as a person living in the Cape Flats, um, I was standing outside trying to get in touch with what my culture is. And then the neighbors started fighting. And I was like, that's, that's my culture. <laughs> that, is, that is a true. What were the neighbors fighting fall. about? Can you remember? Did you manage to ascertain? No, they're brown no. people. They were just fighting. They were just no fighting. No, I think that one woman's daughter was having a fight with another woman's daughter and then the mothers got involved so these were even was it a physical fight i think so yes i think so and it was the men didn't get involved the women were out there screaming why was why was wayne mckay outside your house <laughs> Maybe he was looking for a show. You know, it was hard times for everybody. Maybe Wayne was like, do we, Mel, do you have anything online for me? I don't know. But he was, um, I don't know if he got involved in the fight also. Do you know, years ago, I um, I noticed this, and it's still a, a possibility where there's certain land claims and then Constantia area, there are quite a few still outstanding where there's a, big plot of land. For example, opposite that uh, Eitzig wine farm. Yeah. That just open land is, is, a, is, a, is a land claim that I don't know where it is, but I saw in the Constantia Berg Bulletin once that the Constantia Residents Association were, and it had a quote, very concerned uh, about the fact they were going to build a low-cost housing development okay. right there. And I thought at the time that's very concerned is, uh, is Constantia for... <laughs> And then I pictured like what it would be like to build that block of flats opposite and how the neighbors would. Oh, that would be terribly entertaining. Be, it would, wouldn't it? Imagine well, that for- fight, that same fight or. In the, in the, across from Constantia. Yes. I think it should happen. Or like it borders on someone's like tennis court. Yeah, just above their swimming pool. Make bro come and dive in there, that look like that's a diving boat we drive from the second story. <laughs> Why is Wayne McKay living in the Why place? is <laughs> So we did this show the other night, uh, guys, uh, and it's uh, at a place called this the the sports premium sports bar. The premium sports bar. Uh, which you would normally go to as a Liverpool supporter, I want to say. I think so. I think so. Liverpool pictures everywhere. As it happened, there was a TV on with people playing in the snow (laughs) the other night. That's just by the by. But this is a room like pre-COVID that that, uh, you didn't have to be very experienced or even very good to destroy. Like it was just eruptive laughter. It was a brilliant room and everybody felt like they were a rock star. Yeah, totally. And then on the night that we were there. And it's COVID. Not not so much. (laughs) People are timid and reticent and not sure that they should be there. I don't know if people thought that maybe you spread the disease through laughter. Well, you want to laugh. You typically do because when you laugh. Yes. But some of them had their masks on. Some of them didn't and should have had their masks Those on. that did have their masks on, let's be honest, it was around their chins mostly. Yes. And then you got propositioned by a construction worker, like in between sets. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and abruptly left, he abruptly left shortly before the end of the show. There was, in the middle of your set. He I did, hey. And then you were also being heckled. There was guys on the right who were talking and yes, stuff going on. Yes, just having a conversation. Because there's... Um, the room is, there's a little, there's a, the room and then the bars at the back of the room. And then there's a little gambling section off to, oh. off to the but left. But also, they also serve apparently very good halal pizzas, somebody told me. But the kitchen was closed that night, so, so everyone was really hungry. So you can get halal and gamble and buy alcohol. Whilst in the same place. All during Ramadan. This is what Mitchell's Plane is, let's be honest. <laughs> Mitchell's Plane is nothing if not a cosmopolitan eclectic mix of humans. How would you describe Mitchell's Plane to my 
cousin, my Canadian cousin Kyla, listening to this from Vancouver. A cosmopolitan eclectic mix <laughs> of humans um, who occasionally fight with each other because their daughters are modeling down the street. Because their daughters are dating Wayne McGay. Uh, both of them. I, uh, you, time. did you, were you born in Michigan? Did you no, grow up? I was born, born in the Burka, um, in a place, well, I was born in, not in the house, because we didn't do home births. Yes. We didn't know that about that then, and even now. Well, I talk about being born at home in the converted stable, but technically it was the Mambra maternity. Yeah, well, oh. me, it was, um, what was it called? Also something maternity. Yes. Um... St. Monica's Maternity Home. Yes. I was born in St. Monica's Maternity Home. Um, and so we lived in Burka till I was six years old, and then we moved, um, not by choice, out of our flat. Well, that's... Overlooking... And when you say not by choice, that is that... That's... No, that is early enough to be a group areas yeah. thing, is it? it was, was it? 79. 79. Because we had Kurt on a few shows ago, and he was talking about being almost the last family to be evicted from... Um, was it District 6? I think it was, actually. So it's always got to be the best or the last or the something. Yes. It's got to be like somewhere high on a list of something. Exactly. I don't know. I could. But do you, how old were you when that happened? I was six years old. So six do years you, old? What do you remember of that time? Well, we were very sheltered. So my parents just told me that we were moving to another place and it was all exciting for us. The three kids all just back. We, we were living in a tiny little flat. It was myself... My parents, my granddad, my um, brother and my sister sure. living in a two-bedroom, three-bedroom flat. There were not enough rooms for yeah. all of us. So I was very excited because I was going to share a room with my sister. And um, at the time, I liked my sister. <laughs> and now? Nah. I don't want to share a room with her anymore. Right. I'm yeah. tired. I'm yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, she can get her own room now. Yes. So. Um, What's her name? Liesel. It's time, Liesel. Yeah. I don't know why you said that. Many people have said that. In my before. mind, she's I not going she to listen to you. She's listened to no one so far. Really? She's not going to listen. Is she to younger? You. No. She's older I'm than you. I'm the youngest. I'm the baby. Wait. So it's you and Liesel, and, and then my brother Spencer. Is he the How oldest? Pretentious is a name like Spencer. Spencer. That's a me. Spe- no, that's no. the Stovian of Spencer, yeah. Donovan Jones. Wow. Huh? <laughs> he wasn't walking down the street saying, Yay, he, was, he speaks fluent French as well. Wow. Does, where does he live? He lives in Abu Dhabi. Yeah. Amazing. That's a whole. <laughs> I nearly went to. Ab- well, I thought I was going to Abu Dhabi, ended up in Dubai. But now, and and your parents, do you know much about the uh, their descent and ancestors and where people were from? Well, um, my mom had um, a stepmother because her mother had passed away when she was, I think, three. And so her dad got remarried and then that woman raised her. So I don't know much about Mm. that ancestry. Um, And I do know that my grandfather from my mom's side had nine siblings or something. So I didn't even know all of his siblings, Mm. let alone the people who came before him. Um, But... They made a point of saying that my dad came from Welsh descent. Wow. As brown people, we're like, we're going to claim the quiet stuff. Yeah. Hence Spencer something, something. Jones. Jones, Hence of course. Jones. 90% of the Welsh team is always a Jones. Yes. So we're Jones from Welsh descent. Um, my grandfather had red hair and green eyes. Wow. And so I was like, why didn't I get that? Like, why did I have to get the brown stuff? <laughs> so, you know, because we have this whole thing growing up. Like, if you've got light eyes and light skin, like you're amazing. Yes. And I'm like, it took me a long time to get to realize that you can be amazing in any skin. But yeah. that's a whole other conversation. For yeah, people don't often think of the, 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 the racial prejudice within a brown oh, or yeah. black family. Yeah. Like the, the light skin girls, with light skin eyes with the long light yeah. hair. They're all the pretty ones. They're all the, they get all the attention. And yeah. And we so, actually did that in, in that show, Three Wise Men, with Mark and Riyadh. I played Shmiley's younger brother, Fuat, who uh, was treated differently from Shmiley and always got the poloni in his sandwiches. Because you got the light skin. That's it. Uh, the privilege of the light skin. The privilege. And so you're six years old, and do you know what the eviction... I mean, Burkha 
World Cup was an anomaly in terms of the group areas acting in Cape Town in some ways. A lot of people weren't uh, forcibly removed from World Cup. Wow. But well, we we were in a different situation where um, the flat that we were in were being, was being sold um, to white people. Yes. Or being taken over by. So I don't still don't know the details of it, but I only found out much later that it was an eviction. Yes. It wasn't just us moving to another place. Um, and so I don't know the, the full extent of um, how much of it was because they didn't want us there, how much of it was because of the color of our skin, I don't know. But I do know that um, that, that area was being taken over by people that didn't want us there. Mm. So, But you didn't know that because they sheltered you from that? My parents sheltered yeah. us from a lot of things. I mean, even during um, the Group Areas Act, even during apartheid, like we, were, we weren't allowed to go onto certain beaches and go into certain restaurants. And my mother never explained to us why. She mm. just said, oh, no, we can't go there. Mm. And then I found out later why these things mm. um, were... As right. a teenager? As a teenager. Yeah. I think I was about no, 12, yeah, prepubescent. Probably about 12 and 13. So, yeah, I think... I was about that age when I saw it, but it wasn't through my parents. Other people no. my age, would, they were talking about it, having these conversations about yeah. how they come from. Because, I mean, it's Mitchell's Plain. Everyone came from somewhere. Yeah. We were all placed there. Um, Mitchell's Plain was designed to be a hub of colored people who didn't belong anywhere else. Mm. So, Sort of like the reform shul for Jewish people who don't fit in anywhere else, but... Also, also, the reform shawl is, is for poor Jews. But we we were poor, but we were white, so we could still afford to be yes. poor. So you could still afford to be poor? Yeah. Like you didn't have to go on welfare? No. Okay. We did have to ask the Waldorf School for a significant discount. I've never, they ever couldn't afford the had 30 to ask a term. Waldorf School for yeah. anything. No. In fact, they don't allow me near the Waldorf School. Why? Do you not know how to organic garden? Because I'm from I don't know, all those schools are very progressive. But, um, okay, so you're there, your friends start. I'm guessing your parents also didn't tell you about sex. No. No, I had to find that that out the hard way. So you discovered your friends had to educate you about racism, sex. Yeah, and some of them didn't do a very good job. No. Because I ended up with a lot of really bad partners. Like my boyfriends were terrible. I had to then... Go and Google it. I had when to. Google we didn't have came, Google. When, when Google, Google came, came in 19... That's when I found out about sex. 95, And then in 97, I had a child. Sure. <laughs> I mean, I relate because younger people can't relate. Like these guys here, Milan and Cynthia, they, they don't know a time when... Be- you couldn't Google, can a blowjob make someone pregnant? I literally thought... That's why I turned down blowjobs like left, right and center until I was like 28... I didn't know what a blowjob was. I thought that it was like when you put your hair dry. Like I, I thought it had something to do with a hairstyle. It's like a blowjob. Have Mal, have you ever given a blowjob? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Check out my hair. <laughs> have you given a blowjob? Yes, I've given myself a blowjob. <laughs> Sometimes I give myself some blowjobs. <laughs> when? And then people were like, I think you may mm. not know yeah. what we're talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then some guy um, offered to to educate me. Yes. And I was like, okay, cool. And I was like, oh, oh, okay, that's not so bad. When did you discover the funny weapon, or was it? Did you weaponize it from an early age, or did you just discover? I weaponized it from an early age. And how? Because I was the tiniest girl in class uh-huh. and I was skinny and everyone always picked on me and I was also smart. So the stupid kids didn't like the smart kids because they showed them up yes. in class. So I was kind of bullied a lot by a girl named Simone. Simone? Do you remember her surname? No, but I have bumped into her recently. Oh, really? How did that yeah. go? She's huge. <laughs> <laughs> that was enough for you? You didn't even have to? Yes. I was like, yeah. <laughs> this was pre-COVID. I was like, imagine what she looks like now. <laughs> um, 
<laughs> so I was like, who's being bullied by themselves now, Simone? <laughs> <laughs> so yes. So she, because she was taller than I was, because I was so tiny. Were you? I, I was, was so, so tiny. So I was tiny. a late bloomer, they called me. I was also a late Were bloomer. You? Yeah. I started blooming, I think I was about 17. Well, that's fine for a girl to be blooming late, but not a manly, cisgender, heterosexual young guy who wants to be manly, but can't because he's... My son blue was a late bloomer. I well. mean, like Merv Maris, for example. My wife, Debbie, was dating Merv in like standard three, four. That's when I moved to that school and met them both. And Merv, I had like seven pubes. He had a full mane at that time. Yeah, no, I can relate. Because my son also, he was, yeah. he was 17 and he looked 12. And, and, uh, when, and I this was, because I didn't even have this. I sat, had to pretend my voice had dropped. I was like doing this on purpose. <laughs> <laughs> and your mother said, go goggle. Go just goggle your throat, please. Bar ones. I used to eat bar ones before English what class. Bar ones do? Because it somehow created more <clears throat> saliva in the back of the throat. And so I could read. You always have to read in Mr. Graham's English class. He'd make you read out loud. Oh, it was traumatic. <laughs> and so you ate bar ones. I ate bar ones at lunch, yeah. Do you want to just have a disclaimer for people that... It doesn't really <laughs> It's also, I also used to, I don't know if I did this or, but you desperate to like grow, like something. Like it's like you talk to your people who would talk to their plants. Girls, did you ever do this? I heard of girls talking to their breasts to help them grow. Like, I must have spoken to the one breast more than I've spoken to the other breast then because the one, <laughs> the one really got more attention. Really? Yeah. You and Amran, I won't say her son, but she also. Yeah, no, a lot of a lot of women have, but mine is distinctly really? different. Yeah. <laughs> Do you have to pad pad up like? I don't. Okay. I mean, I could if I wanted but, to, but yeah. no one touches these no. boobs, so why do I? I don't care. I don't care. And people, you know, I've discovered that something about men, they don't. They just oh, boob, oh, they get excited about a boob. Yeah. Doesn't matter what size. Doesn't it matter. Is. What what can you remember like making a uh, the class laugh for the the first time or early on like that feeling of I remember you know when I knew I was funny it wasn't necessarily a moment of making the class laugh or doing something really hilarious it was Michelle Michelle always used to steal my jokes I used to say something and then it would be funny and then Michelle but I'd say something just you know like we're having a conversation now then Michelle would go and then she'd say it loudly and then people would go ha, ha, Michelle that's so funny I was like but I wrote that I wrote that joke she was the first I want to mention any names so Michelle yeah yeah I, I won't mention her name joke thief she and, and that's she when you knew to, so she actually tested them out for you in a way no, she knew that they were funny. She knew they were funny. I didn't have but the you confidence. But you didn't know, no. No. And then she would start... Oh, that's interesting. Very interesting. And then she kept doing that, and I thought, well, clearly my stuff's funny. Yeah. I should be a little more confident. And then I gained some confidence, and I started saying them loud. And then she lost her power. And then, mm, Michelle, not you funny. You stopped so. testing them on her as well. Yeah, Michelle and Simone, how you feel now with your how lives? How do you feel? <laughs> okay, so you, you matriculate at, what's the name of the school? Portland High School. Portland High in School Mitchell's in Plan. Portland, Mitchell's Plan, yes. which is basically the, like the French Riviera. Riviera. Okay, let's call it that. The French Riviera of Mitchell's Plan. Is it? Yeah, well. It's like the poshest part of it is, Mitchell's it, Plan. Well, that's what people say, but I don't. I suppose if you're going to cross the railway line, you're going to go in the other direction. Mm. Even I'm scared driving there. Mm. Um, and that's where I got shot at. Really? Yeah. How I long did you drop another comedian at home. Well, I didn't have to. I, in, offered. I offered to do yes. it because he was drunk and he couldn't even get an Uber. Yes. And they were going to put him out of the club. It was after a comedy gig. Right. They were literally going to dump him on the pavement. I thought, you can't dump him on the pavement. I'll take him home. And then I dropped him at home and I got shot at as I was leaving. So. Holy shit. Yeah. So we were Did the bullet miss home. the car or no. did it hit the car? Hit the car. And, and missed you? Yes. Missed me. Well, by grazed how much? my hand. Really? Yeah. How long ago was it? 
Three years ago. I didn't even know about this. Yeah. I did a joke about it the next night. What was the joke? This is how we heal. This is how we deal with trauma. So um, I was talking about how um, how uh, we I was driving around in Mitchell's plane, and you know because we've got we've got this great people always talk about thing Mitchell plane in a negative way, mm. and we've also got great development programs. We are we're developing skills in hijacking and mugging because you've got to stick to what you know. And unbeknownst to me, I was a part cool of core competencies. Program. That's a good one. I'll use that. And as unbeknownst to me, I was a part of this development program not so long ago. Not so long ago, like last night. It's <laughs> like driving around. It's three or four. Because you can't say last night. No, I can't. Because to an of, audience. Because people then mm. get emotional about mm-hmm. it. So if you tell them that it's actually didn't yes. happen that long ago, yes. If you distance yourself from the situation, then they feel it's okay. And what's interesting is that a few weeks ago or uh, a couple months ago, you have to use that phrase, whether it happened yesterday or ten yeah. years ago. Because 10 years is too long. Yeah. It must be. Yeah. So yeah. you just kind of, like, just a little while ago. Sorry. A while ago. Carry oh, that's fine. So, so we're doing that little thing and driving around at three or four in the morning as one does. And this man came up to me, walked <clears> up to the car and he said, hello. And I thought, it's a very strange time and place <laughs> to be starting a conversation, but I'm polite. So I said, hey, as I turned to him, I noticed that he had something shiny. Yes. Um, and I thought, either he's got a very shiny penis <laughs> or that's a weapon. Yes. And then either way, it was cocked. And then, <laughs> excuse me. And then um, he, and then I noticed when then I went for him with my car, because I thought quickly, went for him, because I actually really did. Did you really do did try, try and run, to him, run him over and then you ran away. And I thought, that is good. To, that's good skills. That's very quick reflexes on his part. Very good. And we both learned something that night. He learned not to fuck with a so-called vulnerable woman in the middle of the night. And I learned that I'm not afraid to harm someone with my vehicle. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the, the truth is... Yeah, it's, funny it, sometimes it if you look I mean, at it from a different perspective and that's all comedy is really i think and it is for us it is therapeutic i mean i think about my my dad's death i mean i couldn't do the jokes for a while yeah but doing them now i mean it's for me it's just it's yeah. lovely and it's almost like paying homage yes because yes in the moment it's very painful and grief is hard to deal with but you get there, and then once you get there, because my dad was also a very funny man. Yes. Very funny man. Was that where the the osmosis, the comedy osmosis happened? I think so, but my dad also did that, you know, the typical, I'm going to put a dookie on and I'm going to... Really? He used to say, my friends were so entertained by my dad. And I used to do the eye roll. Is he from the Welsh line, or is that your mum's line? That's the Welsh line. He's the Welsh yeah, line. Yeah, he's the Welsh line. Maybe you come from a, like, a long line of Welsh storytellers. Have you been to Wales? No. To track these people down. No. Imagine um, going to Wales. I'm looking for the Joneses. Yes. <laughs> Which one? You could call it keeping up with the Joneses. Yeah. <laughs> with all of them. All of them. <laughs> and they speak all different languages. Imagine all understand. the people. Imagine all the Joneses. I was like, they got like... I think that's a great idea for different a... Different dialect. For a, for a film documentary about you just going, going to, look to find my ancestry to look for the Jones <laughs> in Wales in Wales I would love to watch that that's that, there I'm a documentary maker that's not next on my list of I want to know I want to like uh, no do, do you recall our first meeting I've got a photograph of us um, very early on in my stand-up when did you when was your first how did you get to that first gig the cape comedy collective right i think that's where we met for the first time i think so and how did you land up there like what was the sequence of events i my mom read was reading the paper because that's what you do yes what year is the parent 19 2001 yes 2001 yeah because my son was four. Right. I think. What's, wait, what's my son's name? Never mind. <laughs> so, 
my mom was reading the paper because my mom's not unhappy enough. So she needs more things. Yes, more bad news. About. So she's reading the paper and she got this article. She's like, it says, if you think you're funny or something along those lines. And she goes, hmm, yeah, read this. So I'm like, I've got to read now. Are you working a nine to five job at this point? or what I you had a part time job as a, was it a cosmetic consultant? Either cosmetic consultant or a part-time supervisor in a retail store. In Seapoint. It sounds like you were well, in Seapoint. I was actually at the waterfront. Right. Yes. So. <laughs> Big time. <laughs> and then some people were coming in and saying, I need something for my face. And I said, lady, we can't fix that face. <laughs> in my head. In my in head. In your head, you said. I would never say that out loud yeah. because, you know, you sell them what yeah. you make. Some commission. So at the time I was either or either I was at Westgate Mall in Mitchell's Plane and I was a part-time supervisor and people just kept returning shit. And I was like, just, I can't with these people because mm. I didn't want to start a gang fight in the store. It's mm. apparently mm. not allowed. So um, my mom read the paper. She showed me the article. She said, please go and check this out. And at the time I couldn't even drive. So I was dating, I was dating a guy at the time who I said, would you please, I'll go there. I'll find my own way there, but please come and fetch me. To the comedy club. Yes. Yes. To the workshops. Ah, was it called the lab or something like that? Comedy lab. The comedy lab. Yes. 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 That's where I met Tracy Class for the first time So the comedy lab was this little place in Woodstock. It was like a room, wooden floors, high ceilings. And then Mark Sampson was probably there. And was there like a wooden spoon that you'd hold instead of a microphone? Or was there a microphone with no something. lead? Or some, there was something you would stand up in front of eight people or something. Yes, and you'd hold it. Yes. And it would be weird. Yes. And I didn't do anything for the first three weeks because I was so You just watched. Oh, you could just watch. Yes. No, you couldn't because I was told you can't just, can't just watch, Mel. So I was told you can't just watch. Oh. You have to bring some material. Right, right, so then right. I went home and I tried to write five minutes of material because by then I'd seen how the whole thing works. Yeah. I was, okay, fine, I can do this. Practice in front of the mirror, inflections, all the gestures. Okay, that works, that works. Questioned everything, reevaluated everything, overthought everything. And then eventually I was like, I've got to do this. I didn't know these people. Here I was putting myself out in front of people to be judged. Yes. And then they loved it. And I was like, ah, okay. At the lab. Yes. They loved it. Tracy was there. Um, uh, Lawrence Wilson. Yes. Sean Wilson, probably. Yes. Fred Stradle. Fred. Was Kaya Dlunga there? Or was I he think Kaya Dlunga yeah. came a little bit later. Yeah. Yeah, so all of them were there. Right. But there was no Kurt Stewart. Those guys were already like They were headlined. established. Oh, established yeah. after like three months. Melody Chevlain. Melody Chevlain. <laughs> it's just so you did your five minutes and they said you are ready to you do are ready let's take that five minutes and put it on stage right and mm-hmm. that is now what what you what month in 2001 do you remember because i know what october. my month was october and mine i think was september september the 21st it was like 10 days after 9 11 Wow. So I did my first open mic gig like a couple of weeks before you. That's insane. And what I remember, and correct me if I'm wrong, is possibly seeing you do yours for the first time. I don't know. But your first four minutes was in an American accent. Yes. Is that correct? That is correct. I did a whole, the whole thing in an American, like down South American accent. And I was like, hey, how y'all doing? It's so good to be here. Y'all don't even know. It's so cool. And I said, oh, you know, come into the motherland. All of us want to come to right. the motherland. And so <laughs> do that And what did you do when you broke and then into... just before the end, I was like, I come from down South, down South from a place called Mitchell's Plain. And then people lost it. They lost it. Because I had all this judgment because people don't open up yes. to foreigners. There was some, I felt, yes. I felt some xenophobia in the room. Yeah. I was like, who is this woman coming here telling us about her life? And then when I said I was from Mitchell's Plain, they were like, oh, she's one of us. Got excited. And, and I did that routine for a good I think then I must while. have seen your first gig. Yeah. 
hanging backstage. In in the armchair. In, in the armchair theater. Yeah. And so we are both celebrating 20 years in comedy this year. Wow. What are we going to do? Indeed. We're going we to do, do comedy. comedy. We're going to do comedy. <laughs> are we? At premium sports. At the armchair. No, we're going to do it at the armchair. <gasps> we should do it at the armchair. You're right. We're going to do the armchair. Do I actually have 20 a 20 picture years. of us somewhere. I couldn't, I didn't find it today, but it's, I think, um, I don't know if I was actually holding you in my arms, Mel Jones. But yeah, I was wearing I was a pair of uh, plastic, um, fake snakeskin red pants and a Coca-Cola hat. That's and you were also wearing red, I think. And that was a promo shot for the Cape Comedy Collective. <laughs> yeah, then it could very well have been because they they have done. They've Can done you believe it's uh, you've been doing this for twenty, 20 years? No, no, it doesn't feel like I've been doing it for no, twenty it years. Doesn't, hey. No, it doesn't. No. So we we can't really count the last year. Can we count the last year? So it's 19 years. Oh, no. Well, yeah. But, I mean, I watched you the other night. And and, pe- and people don't know. An audience doesn't know that someone has been doing this craft, working on this thing for 20 years. Oh. And and so you could be tricked into thinking, oh, this person is just, they're just so at ease and, and comfortable. And they must have come out the womb like that. And... <laughs> But the, 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 you can't quite see it, your own development for yourself. But I watched it the other night and I was like, this is someone who's so great to be with because you're just relaxed. You're there. You're being yourself. And at the same time, your mind is going and you're sharp and funny and just a joy to watch. Thank you, Nick. And I, I said some of that to you, but yes, I wanted to did. say it publicly. Um, and as you look back now at these uh, at these twenty years, one of the things I like to talk to comedians about is um, those experiences that you nearly quit. You 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 had you died a number of deaths that were almost life changing in the sense yeah. that you were like, God, oh, screw this. Can you remember any any of those? Um, I think the ones that that made me fall hard were the ones that made me want to get back up and go. Not not prove something to anyone, but prove something to myself. Was there one where you didn't want to prove anything to anybody? Yes. You were just, can you remember that? Where it was? Was it a biker's rally? A biker's rally. How, how far? But it, know, wasn't a bi- it wasn't a biker's rally as in. Like one of those toys. One of those where on the, we're out in the open. It was a biker's rally where they had organized for them to meet at, what was that club that, that had three levels across from Canal Walk? Anyway, it was, I don't even remember the name of the place. They'd organized for the bikers to meet there. They were going to have a upscope. They were going to have a party. And they thought it would be great to get a comedian mm. to come and do some, some jokes for them. Yep. All men. Yeah. Middle-aged. Me. Leather. In my, in my leather pants. Right. I'm thinking, yeah, I wear leather. How far are you into comedy at this point? Uh, probably two, three months. Two, three months. <laughs> so is, are you still doing the Just American get, thing at this point? I think I did. Right. I think I did at that stage. I walked on stage. I was fairly confident, but I was very nervous. Very Because you're only doing comedy for three months. You don't know anything. Walked on stage trying to put on this air of confidence. Going, oh, they're going to love me. They're bikers. Wearing leather pants. Yeah. They love leather. They love leather. Yeah. When did the first heckles start? Before I spoke. (laughs) Before I opened my mouth. What was it? You remember? Face your mace. (laughs) For our Canadian uh, Canadian listeners, that means. Show us your mouse. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't even have a laptop with me at the time, so. <laughs> so, because um, you hear that as you still walking on stage, yeah. And then I went, just did my material. Yeah. material. We're gonna have three tequilas and left. Yes. And when you got into your, are you driving by the stage or not? No, I think he came to fetch me. You get into your boyfriend's car. How did it go? He says, Yeah. Oh, just up, drive. Shut up and drive. Shut up and drive <laughs> as far away from this place. Did you contemplate driving as far as Pretoria? <laughs> no, I contemplated driving, but we didn't have enough petrol. 
So. <laughs> because you didn't wait to be paid either. No, I just left. I said, just please go. Just Do you know that um, KG Mohadi does this thing when he dies, which is obviously, we got to the point now where we don't die often. Yeah. Very rarely, but when it does happen, it's, it's even more painful now. <laughs> um, and he did this show in KwaZulu Natal and got straight into the car after dying and and drove to Pretoria. <laughs> but that's where he's from, isn't it? It is, but calculate the distance from in the middle of the night. So that's that's a death. He shot at himself <laughs> after leaving the <laughs> He got out the car trying to hide himself. <laughs> like, you don't deserve this car. Get out the car. That's that's a drive. That is a death. I don't think I've ever experienced the need to drive that far. Yeah. But it's often and then the once need you got to, to Pretoria, what do you need, need to, to eat or the need to drink? Oh, or to yes. Yeah. Eat. I love snacks. I really love just, snacks. Just bury those feelings. And I mean, the kitchen was closed the night at um, Premium when we did the gig. Yes. So I couldn't eat a pizza, a halal pizza. So I had to, drinking was the only option. But we didn't die that night. It was just no, we didn't. It was, it was strange. It was strange, but it was strangely. I found it also strangely wonderful in the sense that uh, it suddenly became an intimate gig. Yes. And the characters that I don't know. I don't normally talk to people at that gig in the in the audience. Yeah. And now you kind of forced to because when Nick says characters, he means the audience. Yeah. But they were actually characters. They were. <laughs> I mean, Such there was, uh, what was the guy, Randall, who was, I don't know, looked like he was early 70s, but he was probably oh, in his Randall, late 30s. Yes. He's had a rough life. Randall. He's had a rough life. And then there was Diamond. Diamond, yes. Diamond, who wasn't born Diamond. Uh, she was born either Daniel, Daniel. or Danielle. Dan- we weren't quite yeah. sure. D-A- I don't know. It's spelled differently with a Y and in there's it. There's a people. Y in it. And it had this, it had that. You know, for myself, I'm not generally that comfortable with silence, so I don't tend to bring it right down. I think you you are more comfortable in those yes, in awkward space. spaces. Yeah. So I'm still kind of like developing uh, comfort, but when you but it can be delicious. It, it can it can not not be as well. I think yeah. I think you've got to know when the when the silence is them listening attentively. Yes. And when the silence is them disengaged. Yeah. And that was a silence that was them listening attentively because they wanted to know where the next thing was coming from and what was going to happen next. Because there was such, there was the couple who were recently married and had partner children from yes. other partners, and then so we found out everything about everyone in the room. The construction workers weren't really there for comedy; they were working on the kitchen. Actually, <laughs> they were done. They left. It's sort of like a the. It's like post-war comedy would have been if there was post-war the comedy. People that just come out of their bunkers. Yeah. yeah. And they were like, is, is the real world still... Yes. Is it felt like still? that. And it feels like that a lot now when we... Mm. Yeah. But also, I think... That's that my wife got a... coming out of the, the doctor's room. Oh. But she sees the patients on the, on the video chat. They're not actually in there. Okay. That doorbell, that wasn't an actual patient. She consults on the video. Which has its advantages. When someone goes, could you look at my discharge? Normally you'd be in the room with their discharge. Yes, I don't want to be in the room with anyone. But there is a teller at Woolworths who asks her those questions. Because she knows she's a doctor. And she's now at the road to Surrey. She's at the road to Surrey counter. Okay. As long as people don't have to wait in the queue, because people do not like to wait in the queue at the Woolworths. For the doctor to do for the anybody. consultation. No. For like, why is the cashier so slow yeah. today? Because they want to ask about their discharge. Yeah. You have to be respectful of people's gynecological problems. Um, you do. What was the question? I don't know. And we were talking about post-apocalyptic... Post-apocalyptic stand-up, stand-up comedy. comedy. Um, where do you think we're going with, with all of this? I think zombies. I think zombies. zombies are next. Zombies are next. 
I have yet to see a zombie stand-up comic. I wonder if they die. There was that funny, that one funny one in Game of Thrones. I feel like those were, they weren't really zombies, they were white walkers. Oh, so like on the promenade? Just not on, not on the barren. Oh, no, not today. Not, not today. today. It's um, Eid today. Eid Mubarak to all of our Muslim friends and family. Yes. And we... Do you have any Muslim family? No. I do. I don't have any Muslim family. Not that I know of. Because you haven't done the DNA test. It's coming. We're going to find out who these Welsh Joneses are and go and hunt Imagine them down. Imagine I'm not from Wales at all. <laughs> I'd be so disappointed. It would be a little bit. Can you sing? Oh, it's not unusual to be Definitely loved Welsh. by anyone. Because the Welsh are very good singers. Why would I just go to that song in particular? Was it Tom, Tom Jones? Jones? Uh, Milan, do we have questions we normally ask at this point in the show? Well, we generally go into... Are we winding up? Or was that from last week? That's from last week. Oh. Uh, yes. Oh, I wanted to ask you a question, just um, if you could give me a piece of advice. Advice is the worst vice. Have you heard of the book, The Advice Trap? No. It's a book all about coaching, basically, and how when you're coaching somebody, the worst trap to fall into is giving advice. So when people ask, do you have any advice? It's never going to work. No, because what works for me doesn't work for you. Yeah. It's like if you say, Mel, what works for And what works for you, you it might not have worked for you. You just... Yes, I discovered it along the way. Yeah. Because the reason I talk to people a lot is because... That's where I get, especially when I'm emceeing, when I'm emceeing, I'm talking to people because I want the rest of the comics to know what's going on in the audience. So that's where it kind of came from. That's interesting. I never thought of it like that because that's generous. Most comics are selfish. Oh, I'm sorry. I try and be a little more selfish. That's great. <laughs> I never thought of it like that because yeah. it's very helpful if when you're you talk next to, people. to know that that, that couple have kids from da, da, da. because there might be something in your set that yeah. you can relate to that person oh wow I'm totally going to steal that for By the next means. time I'm hosting by all means and also if you well not at premium but if you have any foreigners because no one in that premium they all came from Western because you hosted a lot at the Cape uh, at the Cape Town Comedy yeah. Club which was in the waterfront of Cape Town and pre-COVID would attract often like 20, 30% of the audience from other countries. And, yes. and you did a lot of time hosting then. Did that benefit you a lot? Oh yeah, I think it did immensely. Because then also I know who I'm talking to and I know how much of my jokes are relatable to the locals and how much of my stuff needs to be a yeah. lot more, um, not as slangy and colloquial got to kind of appeal to a broad yeah. audience but also so that the other comics can walk on stage and not uh, that do a, a punchline in Afrikaans for example because then did it force rough. you to develop an international set like did you develop like if you look back at it I, yeah, I think that I have material that I use for a more international crowd and I think that I have material that I sort of but when you read the crowd I think you have to have a bit of everything in your bag so you kind of go right they're not liking that sometimes you've got to really dumb it down and sometimes you can be a little more intellectual and sometimes you can be a little more local and sometimes you can be but this is i think why i like talking to them because i want to find out you can't just make that assumption that's how you you read the room mm. so yes i've had to know when to stay away from the local stuff and this is why i've had to develop a more things that has a broader appeal We've been uh, doing this now together for 20 years. Didn't know we started like within two weeks or three weeks of each other, but never really like connect. We haven't spent time socially the first time we've been together. What did you, uh, this is an interesting question, like you develop an idea of a person. So what was your idea of this Nick Rabinovitz character in these like, red plastic jeans <laughs> I knew that you were an actor but I wasn't an actor but this is the impression that we were given oh that's I what think you it thought was Sam. I think it was Sam Pierce I've literally and we were like oh done no acting 
Nick, he's, he's got his own agent. He's like, he's not with us. Really? Yeah. You just seemed like you were But I had an afro level. and I was like barefoot coming to the comedy lab. Yeah, but white people wear an afro different to the way. <laughs> so you thought he's about... I thought, he's... oh no, he's just a hippie. Like a brown person wears an afro and they're homeless. Yes. A white person wears an afro and they're a hippie. Yes. That's just how we... That's just True strange, story. like how we see things in South Africa. We kind of like, you look at you know, it's, uh, uh, people in my neighborhood don't wash, and we're like, oh, guys, get look out of the windy house every once in a while. Yeah, people in observatory don't wash, and we're like, oh, they're so cool. No, <laughs> it's just the perceptions are different. So I just thought, like, oh, he's no, he's on a different level. We don't really, don't really, yeah, yeah. So it was, it's interesting to know that you didn't, to find out now, to discover now, that you didn't even have an acting background. No, it's actually. I honestly thought you did. To be honest, I think I wanted to. Oh. Like I wanted to be an actor before I wanted to be a comic because I only discovered stand-up like six months into like, acting. Okay. But it was like acting like for the Coca-Cola company in a, like, Theatre production at seven o'clock in the morning in the tea room. It's still more acting than we were doing. <laughs> Let's be very honest. We were acting like we... But maybe it was also because I was doing characters on stage versus actually mm. being myself. Maybe that also contributed that to that perception. Odd. Odd that I would have... But then again... But we were all kind of... You know, you, you don't know what you're doing. You're trying to hustle and get somewhere. Yeah. And make people laugh in the process. And figure it out as you Do you remember along. your first paycheck from the Cape Comedy Collective? Yes. And you did your first paying 500 gig. rand. I got 100 rand. <laughs> it paid to be a girl back then, let's be honest. <laughs> How many girls were there at that point? There was Melody, you mentioned. Tracy and me. Tracy, and that was it. And what was it like then versus now being... One of the only women. I think having three women back then versus having, well, still less women than men, but so many more women. I mean, people are putting on like all women right. lineups. And yeah. You can afford to have a, a female headliner and a female host and all of those things. So there's definitely a vast improvement. And I think that the more women see women on stage, the more women are going to want to perform. Because people always say, why aren't women performing more? I'm like, ask the women who aren't performing. You can't ask me that question. Like, really? Mm. I'm the one who's doing it. Mm. So I think that the more people see these things happening, the more women are going to want to be interested. But if you were speaking to uh, somebody who's considering trying, a woman who's thinking about it, and you cast your mind back to thinking about it when you were thinking about it, what is there to overcome that's different from being a man? Being sensitive. You can't afford to be sensitive. And I know that some men are sensitive as well, but like women sometimes take things very personally. You can't, like you have to have a thick skin. People are going to say horrible things to you and people are going to sexualize you and objectify you mm. on stage. You've got to let that go. It's not your problem. I think a lot of women take that very personally and they're like, I can't believe these men do this. It's not a reflection on you. It's a reflection on them. Mm. They're the assholes. They're the ones who are catcalling and doing all of those things. That's their behavior. And it's got nothing to do with you. So there's a lot of that to overcome, kind of going like, how are, you try and wrap your head around it and you're very sensitive to it because obviously, like no one wants to be treated that mm. way. But you can't, you can't be sensitive to it because men are going to be assholes in the audience and some women are going to be assholes in the audience because their men are ogling you and there's, there's a different level to, to deal with. And also always wear lipstick, I think, if anyone was going to ask me for advice. Anybody, not just women. Just always wear lipstick. I mean, it worked for Eddie Izzard. Right? How funny is he? I always thought Eddie Izzard was um, a transvestite. No, he just had very heels and makeup. No, he's transgender. Oh, is he transgender? He only recently came out as transgender. Oh, that makes sense then. Mel Jones, is there anything you'd like to ask me? Yes. What? Oh, I have to ask you. <laughs> Ha, <laughs> <laughs>
clown. Oh, there is a difference though between what? the comedian and the there clown. Is. People don't know this. Have you ever been asked to do something like? Oh yeah, or told. Are you the clown? You the clown? Yeah. So we have to specify. But also we have a very limited idea of what clowning is. We just picture the guy with the, the scary guy with the nose and the it's basic and the Pennywise. orange hair and basically your great grandfather. That's what we, My, yes, that's, that's true. what we picture. But um, of course, clowning. I mean, like care clowning, for example. Have you heard of that? No. Where people go into like children's hospitals and and vacuum. <laughs> Sounds like a power drill. Oh. Something erotic about a power drum. But anyway. I own a power drum. Uh, my friend Stacy's a clown. And cl- actual true clowning is, is like, it's an art. I mean, it's a skill that people go to like Lecoq in Paris and study for years and years and years. Physical, physical comedy and the physical comedy of the clown. And the clown. I mean, so that guy at the kids, that scary guy at the kids parties is, anyway. Um, <laughs> I can't think of anything at the moment, but if I do, I'll message you. I want to know what has been like, what has been the most successful? I mean, like look back at your, the actual comedy, the content you've created. There's a bit or a joke that has financed something big in your life. It's been a closer. It's like, like it's like that. Maybe you closed with it for like five years or something. Is there like, I think one. that the one thing that I'm that I latch onto for the rest of my life is the fact that I opened as an American. <laughs> that launched my career. That launched my career. That, and I think it also gave me the idea of how um, excuse me. It also gave me the idea of how the misdirection works. Yes. So I think that was my first introduction to the misdirection. And then that was the concept of it. And I could build from there because one, after a while I couldn't use it anymore because people would start recognizing me from the previous gig and they'll be like, oh, that's that cool. She's not even American. And yes. so, yeah. So, but I think that purely because it launched my career, and purely because I enjoyed it so much. I enjoyed that bamboozling. I enjoyed that. When Do you remember the first time you dropped it completely? Oh, that was scary. I think it was at one of the shows because we were doing um, King Size Comedy Tour. And I'd been booked for Cape Town, Joburg, Bloemfontein, I think, Durban. And I think I got tired of it um, by the end of that. Yeah. So I tried to come up with some new stuff and I, because I loved that so much, it was really difficult to let go. Um, But yeah, so then I started writing things about like, imagine our life, imagine our lives were like movies. Imagine our lives were like movies. Someone is writing a very cuck script for me. (laughs) Can we please just get a different director for my life? Different script writer. And also production, production shit. Um, and also set, set. I've got a tuck set. You can just get a different set. Director. Wardrobe. Oh, wardrobe, yes, please. No, my, my shoes, I don't mind. Okay. Shoes, I don't mind. But my set. Like if we could move locations, I'd be also. <laughs> I found happy. it terrifying dropping the character for the first time. Yeah. I was at the keg in Rondebosch. It was, was it terrifying for you as well? It was terrifying. And then someone heckled me. Because I was so unsure of myself without that. Yes. They were just like, yeah, you're not funny, just get off. And I, I walked, do you remember that keg? Yes. You could walk out the door onto the main yes. road, around the bosch, and then you could just walk. Then did you drive to Pretoria? No, I think I walked to Musenberg. <laughs> Pick up a falafel from my great, great, great grandfather. Yeah, no, but it is terrifying because also people can pick up, the audience can pick up on your uncertainty. They can pick up on your nervousness and then they almost like they go in for the kill. They're like this, brah. And then they got the jokes. No, no, you don't have the jokes. We got the jokes. We're just uncertain about it at the moment, but we'll be back. 
Um, Mel, well done on 20 years. That's uh, that's not to be. Uh, that's not to be. What's the word I'm looking for? Taken lightly. I know for myself it's like uh, it's 20 years. Yeah. Right? But just stick this out for 20 years, and to develop yourself in the way that you have is is really amazing. It's been amazing to watch. And I know that you will grow from strength to strength and all the other profound things I could say. Just imagine I'm saying them now. I'll fill my own I'll fill my own blanks. Um Oh, thanks, Nick. Oh And thanks. we need to celebrate uh, towards September, October. Yes. We're gonna do something. Profound. What should we do? Are we going to have to write jokes now about 20 years of comedy? I don't think so. We could just do what we did. The first time we went on stage. (laughs) Wouldn't that be quaint? I can't do what I did, but you can. (laughs) I cannot do the accent of a black Zimbabwean man. (laughs) And we're uh, washing up gloves at the same time. But you... Oh, please do. I can't. (laughs) I'll be cancelled forever. Jabulani Lovu Donkey.com. You blow so the smoke of the dacha up the nostril of the donkey and then I can't even remember it. He flies. I can't remember my material either, but I'm sure I'll figure it out. But that's a great idea. It's just not for me. But I think we should do something <laughs> similar to From the that. early days. Similar to that. And invite all the people. Some of them have immigrated. Maybe not Some all of them. them. Yeah. Would like to take a selfie. Also not dating um, that guy anymore. So I don't know who's going to fetch me from my kid. If somebody is available to fetch Mel Jones from after her 20th anniversary someone. show with me. We're going to celebrate our 20th together. It's going to be like an old married couple. Yeah. Who've never been together. I'm going to try and dig out the snakeskin pants and that photo. I don't know if I could fit into my pants anymore though. I'll... I'll, I'll think I still have it, though. I have those green pants that I used to wear. Yeah. Tracy Class can do the catering. Yes. She can bring us some... She can bring us a bagel and a knadel and a chicken soup. Maybe there's some Jewish DNA in there. In the water? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Mel Jones, for being with us on... What should we call this podcast? What should we call this podcast? I like the name of it. Do you? I do. Oh, Luke doesn't think so. Fuck him. (laughs) Goodbye. So that was me talking to Mel Jones. I feel like at some point I'd like to do, maybe do a season two follow-up where we test people's DNA and then we go and find their ancestors in Wales. I'd love to go back to Wales. I played cricket in Wales in the Wye Valley in 1993 on tour with the Westerford First Eleven cricket team. I can't remember the result of that game. I think we won by three wickets in Monmouth. I think it was Monmouth. Ryan Joffe hit the winning runs, came in at number nine. I think I wasn't selected to play that day. I have a a feeling that I spent time in the Welsh countryside during the game. I want to go back there with Mel Jones and find her ancestors in a bakery in Monmouth making chocolate eclairs. Wouldn't that be a cool episode? I think it would be. Maybe they're not bakers. Maybe they're coal miners. Or goat herders. Who knows? Anyway, that was me and Mel Jones. I really enjoyed that episode. I hope you did too. Next week on the podcast, we have an extraordinarily talented man. Musical theatre, comedy, music... Whatever he seems to lay his hands on turns to gold. So next week on the podcast, my very good friend and comrade, Sned Ladla, Seneliso Ladla, from the foothills of Peter Maritzburg, I will give you Sned Ladla. Until then, just go out and live your lives. And can be, be, be present. This is it. Be here now. 
Unless you can be in the Maldives, then be in the Maldives, because apparently it's some good deals there at the moment. <laughs> Go out there and enjoy. Be kind to yourself and others and, you know, stuff like that. Namaste. Namaste.